Now we're turning this morning in our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. And we're in chapter 22, Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through to 12. And then we're going to read from verse 23 to the end. Ezekiel chapter 22. Let's hear the word of God. Reading from verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now, thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. Then say thou, Thus saith the Lord God, The city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come. And maketh idols against herself to defile herself. Thou art become guilty in thy blood that thou hast shed. Thou hast defiled thyself in thine idols which thou hast made. And thou hast caused thy days to draw near. And art come even unto thy years. Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the heathen. And a mocking to all countries. Those that be near. And those that be far from thee shall mock thee, which art infamous and much vexed. Behold, the princes of Israel, every one were in thee to their power to shed blood. In thee have they set light by father and mother. In the midst of thee have they dealt by oppression with the stranger in thee. Have they vexed the fatherless and the widow? Thou hast despised mine holy things and hast profaned my Sabbaths. In thee are men that carry tales to shed blood. And in thee they eat upon the mountains. In the midst of thee they commit lewdness. In thee have they discovered their father's nakedness. In thee have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution. And one hath committed abomination with his neighbor's wife. And another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law. And another in thee hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter. In thee have they taken gifts to shed blood. Thou hast taken usury and increase. And thou hast greedily gained of thy neighbor by extortion. And hast forgotten me, saith the Lord God. Let's come now to verse 23 of the same chapter. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. 
Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths. And I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dubbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor in the day. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, my text is found in Ezekiel chapter 22 and the verse 30. It reads, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, I've entitled this message, Wanted, Gap Men for God. These words were spoken by the prophet Ezekiel. He's in exile in Babylon. He's been carried captive there by King Nebuchadnezzar, probably around the time of 586 BC. That was Nebuchadnezzar's third invasion into the land of Judah to capture Jerusalem. At that time and in that day, the great city was destroyed. The temple was sacked. Its treasures were plundered and the gates were burned with fire. Thousands were put to death. No mercy was shown, not even to the aged, the infirm, especially not to the women. Even those with babies were butchered. You think of tens of thousands being taken captive to Babylon in shackles of iron. And Ezekiel was one of them. Now, the name Ezekiel, by the way, means God will strengthen there was a man in Babylon whose name was called Ezekiel, which means God will strengthen. Isn't that significant? Even in Babylon, God has his man there with a message. And it's a message of hope amid all the dreadful situation that's befallen Jerusalem and Judah. Now remember this, young people, that the exile to Babylon for 70 years was connected to sin. The chief reason for the exile was because of sin. And if you read chapter 22 of Ezekiel 1 to 12 very carefully, you will read about highlights of the sins of the great city of Jerusalem. We could list them this morning. Let me just do that to you. The sin of murder. Jerusalem is a city where the blood of the innocent is shed. It's called a bloody city. 
Many references, chapter 22, verses 2, 3, 4, 6, 9, 12, 13, all mention blood being shed. Jerusalem is a bloody city. Now think of cities in the United Kingdom. And we hear of murder on a daily basis. I heard of the murder of a young man in Limavady, I believe he was called Blake Newland, 17 years of age. That's in one of our own towns, never mind the cities in Northern Ireland. Think of the sin of idolatry. Chapter 22, verse 3 makes mention and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. Think of the sin of Sabbath breaking. Chapter 22, verse 8. In that day, the people of the city deemed spiritual things to be stupid, senseless, weighty things of God to be worthless. They, they loved me rather than the maker. There was a love of self rather than the sovereign God who was on their throne. Think of the sin of immorality and sensual lust. Chapter 22, verse 11. Think of the sin of fraud and greed and extortion. And the sin of forgetting God. It's all here. It's all in this chapter. Now let's ask this question. Which groups were the main propagators and instigators regarding such sins? And if you read it very carefully from chapter uh, 22, verse 25 onward, it mentions four groups of people. Mentions the prophets. Verse 25, there's a conspiracy of our prophets in the midst thereof. The prophets were meant to, of course, not only foretell future events, but they were to announce the truth of God to the people. They were to teach and tell the people the way of salvation, how to be saved. Then think of the priests. He says in verse 26, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. Think of her princes. They were like the modern day politicians. The princes, they were designed to um, set to rule and govern. They, they were the lawmakers. And what were they like? It tells us here, princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. The people, here's the fourth group. It says, and the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they've oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Verse 29. You see, all of these sins, all of these sins that were committed by all of these groups of people and lots more that were happening were an open display that the city was ripe for judgment. Here's the chief reason for judgment. Judgment is coming, Jeremiah said. Jer judgment has come. If you think of Ezekiel now in Babylon, and here's the chief reason for that judgment. Ezekiel is looking back, and he's, he's, he has um, given himself to um, tell them that judgment could have been averted if the men in Jerusalem had given themselves to stand in the gap for God. The pastors in Jerusalem. You think of a poster. You could have had a poster there. Wanted gap men for God. And, and there was a search went on in the city. 
He was the great need of the city of Jerusalem back then, away before the exile due to sin. This was the crying need of the hour. Wanted, gap men for God. And there was a search made. And the pastors made the search. God himself made the search. He said, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Not one man among the prophets, among the priests, among the princes, among the people who was willing to stand for God. Now think of this word gap. It's a word picture. Think of a wall that has a gap in it or think of a hedge that has a gap in it. A wall and a hedge. That was the best means of protection in ancient times. A breach or a gap in the wall or the hedge let the enemy in, let the enemy through. And if there was a breach and a gap, usually the defenders of the city would run to that gap. They would swarm to that gap and they would try and hold the breach. And if none were found to stand in the gap, if the gap was left unattended, then the city would fall. That's the word picture. You see, the gap represents the danger facing Jerusalem. God's wrath was about to fall upon it. God's wrath was about to break through in judgment upon this very sinful city. And there was none to stand for truth and righteousness. There was none to cry to God for mercy in behalf of the city. God himself searched for such a defender. And he found none. And even if one had been found willing to stand in the gap, Ezekiel is saying to the exiles that are with him in Babylon, if one had been found to stand in the gap, the destruction of Jerusalem could have been averted. See, see, Ezekiel is explaining to the exiles in Babylon why judgment fell. He is looking back. Since there was no one available to stand in the gap for God, then judgment fell. Now listen to me carefully. I believe our United Kingdom is ripe for judgment. Judgment's already here in a measure. We live in a day when we're witnessing a great falling away, especially from church attendance. The living and true God has been forsaken. He's been forgotten about. You think of the many false prophets in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel's day. Think of the many false prophets in our day. Think of the many foolish priests back then and the many foolish priests back now. If we use the word priest as a synonym for those that stand for God and speak the truth to the people and offer the uh, prayer for, of intercession for the people. You think of the many filthy princes. You think of the, the many filthy people. And add into that mix the multitude of sins in Jerusalem. Think about the sins in our land. And surely we can say that we're ripe for judgment. And this is what God would say to this united kingdom this morning. And listen to me carefully what I'm saying. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I want to deal with this subject, wanted gap men for God. Four things. The call for the gap men. And I sought for a man among them. Now, now you think of this nation, 
The nation's in trouble due to sin. Judgment is coming. It's about to fall. The city of Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And what is God's plan for the city? God seeks for a man. He searched among these different groups, the prophets, the priests, the princes, the people, and not one man is found among them. There's nobody to stand for God, nobody to stand for truth and righteousness. Before the exile, Jeremiah the prophet told by God this message. If you listen to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 5 and in the verse 1, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh truth, and I will pardon it. Think of the word run. It means go quickly. Think of the word broad places. That's the places where people flock to. That's the places where people buy and sell and, 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 and trade. And God says, run to those broad places in Jerusalem and see if you can find a man that executed judgment and that seeketh truth, and I will pardon the city of Jerusalem. You see, here's Ezekiel, as I'm telling you this morning, and he's looking back. And he's saying to the people in exile with him, this is what God says, and I sought for a man among them, a man who would hear me, a man who would heed me to what I'm saying, a man who would want to honor me, but I found none. And I believe this morning God is still seeking for a man. The eyes of the Lord are upon the land, and he's looking for a man who's totally committed and who'll be willing to stand for him in our time. Here's God's plan. I sought for a man. God is a seeking God, and he's seeking man in the sense of an individual. He's seeking men. He's seeking women. He's seeking young people. And here's his purpose. This is what I want the men for, to stand in the gap for the land. Here's the procedure to stand. Not a, a whole army, not a battalion, not a troop, not a small group, just one man. As I've mentioned here repeatedly, the search was among four groups mentioned. There was a man wanted, but not one man wanted to or was willing to stand in the gap for God. And I, I, I want to emphasize, I believe that God has a plan and purpose and a procedure for the United Kingdom. And I know that we're not the land of Israel. We don't have the title deeds to this land given by God uh, like he did for Israel. But I believe that God has singularly blessed this United Kingdom. It is a long Christian heritage. And we're in danger of losing it all by false prophecies, by Foolish ministers standing in the pulpit by, by faulty politicians and princes that govern the land and people that have a love for sin and darkness. And God is saying this, I sought for a man among them. You see, 
If you'll be a gap man for God, you and I can make a difference. You and I can avert, in a sense, God's judgment. There can be a stay of execution if we're willing to stand in the gap for God. And I asked this morning, who is standing between Carrie Duff, Free Church, and the judgment of God coming upon our community? You see, often we think, well, we can't do anything. And often we think that the situation is too bad and too bleak for anything too uh, different to happen. We can't lift a finger. God is sovereign. And that is true in a sense. But if we stand for God, if we stand for truth and righteousness, if we can pray and cry to God for mercy, you think of the city of Jerusalem, a whole multitude, a population inhabiting that city, and there's not one standing for God. And God says, if I had found a man, he had told Jeremiah to run through the city to the broad, if I, if I find a man that executed judgment and standeth for truth, I'll pardon the city. See, judgment is coming, folks. Dark clouds are gathering. And God is looking for a man to stand in the empty place. God needs men to fill the gap. And I asked this morning, do you see the need? Maybe we could ask this question, uh, which is a very, very important question. Where are the intercessors and the prayer warriors for God? In the book of um, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59, um, we read this in verse 16. Listen to these words. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no transgressor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. You see, the prayer warriors are dying breed in the church of the 21st century. Who amongst you will say, like David in Psalm 109, verse 4, but I gave myself to prayer. Here's God, and he wondered that there was no intercessors. What does that mean? There was nobody praying for Jerusalem. Nobody was bothered about the sin of the land. Nobody was crying to God for mercy in the face of coming judgment. They lived in a day when there was a great multitude in Jerusalem. Many would have professed God as their God. Like in our day, there's a great multitude professed the name of Jesus Christ, claimed to be saved, and yet not aware, not know of the necessity of taking a stand for God. See, see, that's the picture. And there's a call for the gap man. If we were to read the Bible very carefully, and we're not going to do it this morning in the sense of opening up the scriptures to show you that Abraham took a stand and prayed for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Moses took a stand in relation to the mixed multitude that came with him out of Egypt before uh, God, between them and God. Phinehas took a stand. Um, Aaron took a stand in the book of Numbers, Numbers 16, 44 and 48. But, but, but who cares? about the church of God? Who cares about the cities in our own land? Who cares about coming judgment? You see, if it's not a priority and we can't be bothered and don't see the need, then there'll be no intercessors. 
the call for the gap men. I want you to think very quickly and secondly, the character of the gap men. What does a gap men look like? What are his chief characteristics? What type of men are they? Let me suggest this morning, and I haven't alliterated this, I could have, but I didn't. A gap man is a man of one book, and that book is the Bible. And he believes the Bible to be the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. He believes the Bible to be plenary and verbally inspired. Plenary means full and complete. Verbally means word for word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. A man who believes that every word of God is pure and precious and plain and powerful. And remember the Savior said in Matthew 4 and 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I want to tell you this morning that there's many standing in pulpits in the land of Ulster and throughout the United Kingdom that don't believe the Bible to be the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God. And if you want proof, I'll give you the proof. There's a rash of new versions on the market introduced into churches by churchmen, pulpiteers. Churches are doing things that are contrary to the book. There's a question mark over the soul sufficiency of the scriptures of truth, the impact of rationalism, modernism, and liberalism. Do you know that many today do not believe in the God of the Bible? They don't believe that God is. They don't believe that God has spoken. Talk to them about the deity of Christ, the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the incarnation, God becoming man, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the atoning death. Talk to them about the cross and try to explain what it means. Oh, you get a different version from your getting preached here week by week. We need a spirit of discernment. Jesus Christ's death was an atoning death. I have a responsibility to call the people back to the book. In Psalm 1 verse 2 we read of the godly man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We're living in a day when there's attack on the sole authority of the Bible. And it's not coming from the liberals and the modernists and the rationalists. Yes, they'll always attack the scriptures. There's always a battle for the Bible. But this battle is going on in fundamental evangelical churches. And nobody seems to care. Nobody seems bothered. Nobody's batting an eyelid. We're, we're supposed to tremble at the word of God. We read the book. God has spoken and our hearts tremble. Nobody's talking about the book. Nobody's trembling in relation to the book. Where are the men of God, like in the days of the Protestant Reformation, who had an all-consuming passion for the scriptures of truth? And we need a rash of Protestant reformers like in past days. Men who believe 
that God inspired his word. Every word is pure. God's word is sufficient. God's word is clear. And they obeyed that word and they applied it in their lives. You see, it used to be that the Bible, and only the Bible, is the religion of the Protestant people. That's the starting point. And why are Protestant churches closing? And why have Protestant people shut up their ears to the word of God? Because you have men who have doubted it. You have men who denied it. You have men who distorted it. And they have been in the pulpits. They have been among the eldership. We need a day when we have men, young people, who will say, give me the book. That's one of the chief characteristics of the gap men for God. I'll tell you something else very quickly. They have to be men of prayer. If you go back there to what we read there from um, the book of uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. See, the psalmist said, but I gave myself to prayer, Psalm 109 verse 4. Who'll give themselves to prayer? Is the prayer meeting not the least attended meeting of the church? Many churches struggle to have a prayer meeting. It was the apostles that said, but we will give ourselves to prayer, Acts 6 and 4, and the ministry of the word. You see, there's gaps in the work of God. And one of the big gaps, folks, is a gap in the prayer meeting. No intercessors. Let me ask the question, could we live without the prayer meeting? Could I preach here every Sunday? Could we have our praise services? Could we pay our way in the sense that we give our money voluntary and sacrificially to the Lord's work? We can have our practical activities, our social events, our little tots, our Sunday school, our children's meeting, our youth fellowship meeting, our, our dinners, our suppers. Could we have all that without the prayer meeting? That's a question that you could answer. We have gaps in our pews. There's a great need for outreach. Churches today, including our own, are only a quarter full rather than full. That means we're three quarters empty. And there's two ways to look at it. Well, at least the church was a quarter full and we can thank the Lord. But we can also look at it from a different way and say, well, it was three quarters empty. We have a lot of empty seats. Where's the burden? See, it was McShane that said what a man is and his knees before God, that's what he is. And your prayer life and mine, that's the key to our spirituality. And I have to confess to you this morning as your minister of almost now 25 years, I personally believe I've failed in this area. I believe I've sinned. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. And I have to confess, there have been times when I haven't prayed as I ought. There was times in the past when I come up into the little schoolhouse and got down on my knees in those pews and cried to God for saving souls and bringing people in under the sound of the word of God. It's a few months past since I did it here in the church. But I need to do it, Lord. As I know on a weekly basis, pray for you where you sit. 
that you might know the blessing of God. One of the characteristics of a gap man for God is he's a man of prayer or a woman of prayer. And God has called many prayer warriors home and, and their seats are empty. Is any wonder we're in the state that we're in? I'll tell you something else. Here's another characteristic. Men with a heart for God. Men who know God. Men who know the power of God in their lives. Remember the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. And we read these words. Daniel 11 and 32. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. See, the problem today is we don't really know God. We say we do, but we don't. We don't know the word of God. And therefore, we don't know the God of the word. If we're not men of the book and men of prayer, then we'll not know who God is. We're not being still, as, as Psalm 46 and tells us, and know that I am God. And I ask the question, where are the men, the women, the young people that really know God? That, that humble themselves before him and, and cry out, Lord, meet me now. Meet with me at your feet, Lord. I'll tell you something else. They're men with a grasp of the gospel. Hebrews 10 and 12 says, But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And when the Lord Jesus was on the cross, I said, He died an atoning death for you. What does that mean? Why did Christ die? Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement was upon him. And if we think of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's a bloodline that runs through it. And it all draws us to Christ, to the fullness of his person and work. And the chief question is, how can a man be right with God? How can a man be just before God? And there's only one answer. The person and work of the only one true mediator of the new covenant. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is solely sufficient to save souls. See, when men reject the Bible, it's soul authority for creed and conduct, belief and behavior. It opens the door to falsehood and error. And one of the chief errors is because they don't really know their Bible, because they're not men of prayer and don't know God, one of the chief errors is to have a faulty understanding of the gospel. And if you want proof, just talk about morality. You're soon going to be asked, well, who says this is sin? Who told you that this is wrong? Well, if God says it's sin and God says it's wrong, according to the Ten Commandments, then you've got to bow the knee to God. And whenever you start talking about God, they're asking, which one? Is it Buddha? Is it Allah? No, it's the God of the Bible. It's the living and the true God. His son, Jesus Christ, is the sole mediator of the covenant. The Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. See, I have people telling me today there's no such thing as truth. But I want to tell you there is. God is truth. And God has spoken. Jesus said, I am the truth. And there'd be none clearer than that. And the church is facing days of attack. Even here in Northern Ireland. 
And we need men to stand in the gap. Here's the type of men that we need. Men of the Bible. Men of prayer. Men who know God. Men who have a heart for God and holiness. Men with a true grasp of the gospel. Men with a burden and passion for souls. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And there's a need for outreach because souls are perishing. And they're going down the valley one by one. And there's a need for men. And God is looking for such men. And I'm asking, will you be such a man this morning or a woman? Very quickly. The commission of the gap men. What do they need it for? Will it look at our text and stand in the gap before me for the land? That's the need of the hour. We get asked if we search the scriptures, where's the Abraham, the Moses, the Joshua's, the Phinehas, the, the, the Aaron's, the David, the Samuel's, the Elijah, the, 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 the Joshua's, the Daniel's, the Ezekiel's. And we can pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, give us men. Give us men for this purpose. Why am I here to stand in the gap for God, for the land? Because judgment is coming. That's the commission of the gap men. Remember what we read in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5. And we read here in verse 5. Listen to these words. And now go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. And it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof. And it shall be trodden down. God says I'll do this. Unless the gap men appear. I'm calling for men to stand in the gap for God. One final thing, and our time is gone, and I'm conscious of that. The consternation of the gap man. Notice these words, last four words of verse 30. But I found none. Not one found in Jerusalem. Not among the four groups of people that God searched the prophets, the princes, the priests, among the people. Not one. Why? Because their priority was wrong. They were maybe anxious. They might have been fearful. They might have been discouraged. They might even have been dispirited. Maybe they had no time. Lives were full. They had places to be and things to do. They were preoccupied with themselves. And isn't that a picture of the Christian church in the 21st century? Why did God find none? Because men were preoccupied with themselves women were preoccupied with themselves and they forgot God and the call to live a holy life they forgot to buy the truth and sell it not they, they forgot to stand by the ancient landmarks that you heard about from Dr. Greenfield last Sunday morning and they forsook God and they failed him I say this in closing here's the consternation but I found none we have gaps in our prayer meeting and I'm calling upon you, especially the communicant members, to come and join with us. If you're able-bodied, if you're not ill, if you haven't had an accident, come and join with us in the time of prayer. If you're not at work, come and join with us on a Wednesday night in the time of prayer. We have gaps in our pews. People have been called home and we need the Lord to answer prayer and fill up these gaps. There's a battle line being drawn and we need people to stand for God in our day. Stand for the Bible. Stand for the prayer meeting. Stand for, for the gospel. Stand for a passion for souls. Stand to know God. There's a need for men for the church. And I issue the call. 
Is there any that meets the criteria, fulfills the qualification? Think of the poster, wanted gap men for God. Will there be one say this morning and carried off, I'll be that man for God. God help me. I'll be that woman for God. God help me. May the Lord help us to stand.